It's really interesting being in our studio, yet surrounded by boxes. I mean, it's true. And by our studio, <laughs> you mean my dining room table. Your dining room table. It's our yes. it's our recording studio. It is our recording studio for now. But only for a couple more weeks. Yes, because I am moving. Which is going to be really exciting because we'll have to figure out, I don't know, where do we record now? What do we do? I know. So, Whatever. I'm not it'll worried. It'll be fun. I'm still going to be in Austin, so. <laughs> yes. Well, hello, everyone. This hello. is Blood and Wine. I am Brittany. I'm Tyler. And we are surrounded by boxes. We are surrounded by boxes. <laughs> Which is so interesting how, like... Is it? <laughs> boxes are interesting. Okay, well, hear me out. Okay. No, it's interesting because, like, you have so much stuff that fills... <laughs> It's I, it will be interesting. <laughs> no, you have so much stuff that like fills a house or an apartment, but you can pack it down to boxes, and it's just <laughs> interesting to see like, oh my god, this is my entire like world here in this space. I promise I'm not high, guys. But my this, whole world fits into this. This uh, is almost as bad as the time I was trying to explain to you how time feels different some weeks. Some weeks yeah. it feels shorter, some weeks it feels longer, but it's yeah. the same amount. And you're like, yeah, that's how time works. <laughs> and I'm also sitting here like, yeah, that's how packing and moving works. Okay, you no, know, I realize that. But it's different to, like, d- to take everything yeah. that you own and put it in boxes. I get what you're yeah, saying, okay. but the way it sounds is... Okay, well, anyways, <laughs> let's just... With that fun tidbit of knowledge, let's... Flip the script and transition to Patreon. Yes. So, um, you guys, we have a really exciting episode for you today, but our regular episodes are not the only ones available to you. This is true. If you're a Patreon subscriber, we have Murder Minis, and we're recording Murder Mini 16 um, after right at the end of this episode. This episode. So, um, be sure to hop on over to Patreon, check out our different levels of support. Um, each different level comes with different perks, and all of them do come with our murder minis uh, which come out bi-weekly yes so be sure to check them out they range from 20 minutes to an hour and 40 minutes just yeah that one's not that uh, many but (laughs) just depending on what uh what we've got in store for you guys so again thank you so so much for all your support like like we say every episode like we couldn't do it without you we absolutely absolutely would not be here without all of y'all's love and support and just everything. Speaking of moving, I'm wondering if it's what your neighbors are doing, considering I'm worried they're about to fall through the ceiling at this moment. You know, I think <laughs> if they do, that just means that we are about to have a couple guest stars. <laughs> well, Will it be my neighbors? Will it be the ambulance people taking them away? Wait Time and tells. See. <laughs> but anyways, like I was saying, if you want to stay up to date on everything blood and wine, just make sure to go and subscribe to us on... Mm, yes. I... Whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, your favorite yeah. one. Um, we're on iTunes, Spotify, all the... Basically, you can find us on almost anything that yes. plays podcasts. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> on the radio. On yes. The- <laughs> no, I'm, I mean it. Anywhere. You can anywhere. find us anywhere. Anywhere you want to find us. Yes. So, hey, okay. The other day I was scrolling through my Instagram and I saw... The preview for season two of uh, Killing Oh, there was Eve. a preview? Yes. Oh, I just... So, you texted me and I saw that it's coming back in April. I didn't know there was a preview out already. There's a preview. I guess preview. that's only two months away, so that makes sense, but... But yes, you guys, Killing Eve is coming back. It's on BBC America and... Which is oh different than God. BBC, just by the way. 
it's like it's a specific channel for Americans who want to watch British crime procedurals and Doctor Who. Yes, yes. So, um, but I'm so excited. That oh, me first too. First season was killer. <laughs> pun intended. Uh, boo. No, boo. pun intended. Okay. And this one is looking like it's going to follow it up. I mean, honestly, so perfectly. I love Sandra O oh so much. I will watch. And again, I mention this like every two or three episodes. Y'all know how I feel about watching anything. Um, uh, but I will watch anything with Sandra O oh in it. She, yes. in my mind, is up there with like Anne Hathaway and Meryl Streep in like love my favorite her. actresses. Absolutely. Well, so I will, I think this is going to be one of the ones where I watch it weekly because I'm not going to be able to wait and like bench like three or four. I will want to, but I will not be able to promise I have time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I never have time for anything, but somehow I listen to all the podcasts and watch all the TV. You you drive. I mean, not watch TV while driving. (laughs) I assume that's when you listen to podcasts. Um, I just, I don't like listening to podcasts on the bus. Man, that's when I got into podcast listening was when I was riding the bus and now, using public transit. For me, it is, that is my time to either people watch because I'm a creeper like that. No, everyone's a creeper in that aspect. Staring people down on the bus. <laughs> the bus is one of the best places to people watch, though. Oh, it, oh, it really like is. Like seeing the type of people that are getting on, going to work, trying Especially to guess what they're doing. Especially the two lines that I take. I mean, it's wonderful because <laughs> it, it is the best so okay we've got a really exciting topic for this one yes we do tell our listeners what it is so this topic is hotel murders yeah. and <laughs> i know y'all will probably have guessed which two cases we picked um before we say the name of it but yep. obviously i'm not gonna tell y'all yet because that's not how we do but this one it's just so crazy i mean it, because you always think To me, hotels exemplify that idea of there's so much going on in in something that you cannot see from the outside. Because you see a hotel, it's just a building. But inside, there's literally hundreds of people doing, I don't know. Who knows what. Exactly. And it's your room's your own world. Kind of like how my apartment is my own world that fits in boxes, but you didn't like that comparison (laughs) earlier. Well, and when it comes to hotels, a lot of the times you think of them as you know, a place to stay during a vacation. And so there's not necessarily this crazy connotation. I mean, we all think of the, you know, you go into a hotel room and if it looks kind of sketch, you wish you had a black light, but you also don't. I mean, fair. Like we've all had that thought in hotel rooms. Yeah. But you're right. It's, it's a building with hundreds of rooms with only God knows what going on in all of them. It's true. Well, and also it's so... Creepy. I mean, think of like American Horror Story Hotel. So much. Oh, yeah. Of the, that's the one with the vampires, right? Yeah, that's the one with Gaga. Ah, uh, um, love But that there's season. so much. I know. I love that season. A lot of people did not, and they were wrong. So, sorry, listeners, wonderful. if you didn't like it, you're incorrect and you <laughs> need to watch it again. But no, the whole. It dives into a lot of the things that make hotels creepy. It's just the whole atmosphere. Even when the show's not being necessarily like scary, it's just like these. The camera shots of the long, ornate, but empty hall room. Or yeah. hallways. Hall rooms. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is one thing you bring up when you walk in a hotel. I feel like every time I go to my room, I'm the only person in the hallway. And it's like, how can there be people here, yet I never see them? Mm -hmm. Unless it's checkout time. 
then you see everyone because they all have to leave at the same time. That's true. And then you run into 300 families with screaming children. They're all from the Midwest somehow. And they're um, just visiting, even uh, if it's like also still in the Midwest. I know. They're like, oh, you know, we came here from Springfield, Illinois, and we're visiting Kalamazoo, Michigan. I don't know what their accent <laughs> is, but maybe they immigrated from Fargo. So, <laughs> <laughs> potentially. Anyways, oh which I've said it before, think I've said it on the podcast, still a movie you should absolutely watch. And the the main actress in it, isn't that like Frances McDormand? Yeah, yeah, okay. she plays the investigator. So, I the only thing I have seen that I know of that she is in or what I remember her from, I cannot remember the name of this movie, but I watched it you were there. It has George Clooney in it. It has her in it. George Clooney's this dude who has like a sex chair, like one with the hole in the bottom with the dildo that <laughs> swings up in it. Why don't I remember this movie I at all? Don't know, but it's fucking weird. <laughs> and so <laughs> that is like who she is in that movie is like I'm like I don't know how she will fit in this like murder movie in uh, North Dakota. And I also Steve Buscemi's in it. And it's, I don't know. William H. Macy is in it. Um, I don't know who that is. You would recognize him for sure. But it's a great movie. Like, very great murder mystery movie that's very entertaining. Um, And anyway, their accents are spot on. Okay. So. Spot on for someone who has literally never been to North Dakota. But okay. You've never been to North Dakota. Right, I haven't, but I assume they are spot on. There you Thanks, go. dude. Okay. <laughs> Calling Sorry. me out. <laughs> but anyways, so uh, back, I don't know how we got there from the topic, but, um, oh, people, hotels, North Dakota, Fargo, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, yes, our topic is hotel murders, and I'm super excited about the oh, case I'm going to tell. So oh, me too. But first, let us... Tell us about the wine. Yes. So I know we don't normally do this, but when I saw this wine, it was perfect. So I matched the wine to our topic. Okay. Um, so the wine we're doing is Stones and Bones. It's a 2015 red wine from Portugal. Mm. Um, so the grapes that it's made of, one of them is the Tinta Roriz, which is actually one that's used in ports a lot, which is oh. a you know a dessert wine for its very deep, dark um, color. Ooh. So, but in this wine, it's blended with the Torriga Nacional and also an international Syrah. Mm. So it's it's got this really fruity, rich red um, color and a really deep taste. So it smells like dark and intense. Super ripe berries and spice. Mm-hmm. So it has a, it's supposed to have a really nice texture with taste of black plum and bramble. Again, the bramble, we don't know what it tastes no, like, but don't okay. really know what that is. And then it has toasty, smoky oak notes. And one thing that's interesting about this wine is how it got its name. There were actually dinosaur bones found on the vineyard when they were doing a remodel. Oh. So they named this wine after it and called it Stones and Bones. Okay. But in this case, the stones are the foundation of the hotel and the bones of the bodies? Yes. Okay. That's how it fits. I like it. Stones and Bones. So it's a big, rich red and um, good with pork, barbecue. I mean, it's... Sounds like a great red, and mm-hmm. yeah. So I am really pumped to try this wine. Me too. Let's open it. But yeah, um, I don't know about you, but this wine is literally like everything I need in my life right now. Um, I mean, I absolutely 
<laughs> absolutely need wine right now. Yeah, we're back to our um, Sunday recording time. We are. And, oh, yes. I'm, I love it when I make your wine opener pop. Okay. I mean, I get it. It's difficult, but that sounded weird. <laughs> love it when I make it pop. Oh, my gosh. Look how Ooh. deep this is. Pretty Just bad. like all hotel pools are not. No, they're like three feet max. I know. They're always just filled with little shits. And children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Cheers. I'm getting the spice and the bramble. I'm not getting the fruit yet. Really? I'm getting the berries. Oh, like, really? Yeah. But a nice muted berry. It's not jammy at all. No, this is a very nice wine. Yeah. I. It gets the... Oh, sorry. Oh, no. I was going to say I get... I feel like the tiny bits of toasty oak, but it's not oaky. No, it's not oaky, but I definitely give this one the blood and wine seal of it's a drinking wine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a you can finish the bottle in a sitting wine. Oh, it's absolutely. That seal. Now that we have the wine, I want to jump right into my case. Do it. I, I can't hear contain my case. excitement anymore. Okay. I did the insanely infamous case of H.H. Holmes. So, okay. I figured you were doing this one since I'm doing the other hotel one, but I only know, like, little snapshots and stuff. I mean, let's be real. I feel like I don't need to tell you all this about most cases. I don't know them. Um, I'm kind of shit when it comes to uh, having a criminology major, but it's because I don't work in criminal justice. I work in human resources. You do. But, so, you will, after tonight, know a lot about A.J. Holmes, but also uh, Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio are working on a miniseries for Hulu, um, based on the book Devil in the White City, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I don't think it's necessarily completely about H.H. H. Holmes, but H.H. H. is a huge character in it. Oh. But it's a movie they've been trying to do since 2003, oh. and it, they just keep having setbacks or whatever, but I think it's finally in production, so and I'm pumped. I always... Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be H.H. H. Holmes. That's going to be awesome. Yes. Or horrifying, depending on how your case goes. Probably horrifying. Very horrifying, and I can't wait to see it because he's perfect for it. But, and all of our listeners who are film people are going to murder me for this, which is fodder for our next episode, um, I get Martin Scorsese and Alfred Hitchcock confused all the really? time. Yeah. I, I mean, so I'm like, Martin Scorsese, like, psycho, right? No. 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 And I, I know it's not because Martin Scorsese did like Shutter Island or something and like like modern stuff. But they're both very like, I feel like they're both very artistic and intentional and like. The super kinda, dark way. Yeah. And very yeah. like distinct, which yes. generally distinct people, you don't get them mixed up, but I am human. Hey, I totally get what you're saying. But anyway, that's going to be fantastic. Literally no idea when it's supposed to come out, but I read an article uh, the other day. Right now. <laughs> so um, uh, buckle your seatbelt. This one's a doozy. Click it or tick it. Yes. <laughs> so H.H. Holmes' real name is Herman W. Mudgett. Ew, I would also go by A.J. Holmes. <laughs> well, he has a lot of names throughout his life, but his true name is Herman Mudgett, which I get it. That doesn't sound like a very powerful name, but in his hometown of Gillimanton, New Hampshire, he was considered this very bright person. Before he was even 21, he got married uh, to the daughter of a well-to-do New Hampshire family, and she helped, you know, get him through his education, and they started a family together. Okay. He studied in Vermont and at the medical school of the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor. 
Okay. So, wait, what time period is this? Oh, yes. So, he was born in 1861. So, this is like the 1880s. Okay. See, that's kind of what I was picturing. Interesting. I always forget that, like, institutions that are around and like, oh, yeah, that's here today, were there. Some of them were there in the 1880s and earlier and stuff. I'm like, that's weird. Yeah. People 200 years ago also walked by this building and didn't really think about it because it wasn't really even new then. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But so after med school, he had this lifelong obsession with cadavers. Okay. So one night when he was at school, a body disappeared while it was being taken to the college um, dissecting room. Mm -hmm. And soon after, a resident of Ann Arbor died after a very uh, brief illness. And Holmes collected the insurance of this person who died. Oh. So this kind of started to set up a pattern for him. How did... Wait. So... What? I'm sorry. I'm very... So a cadaver goes missing, and then later a resident of the town dies, and he gets insurance somehow. Yes. So just remember that. Okay. All right? He ended up... Leaving his family, so his wife and um, I think he had a couple of kids. And shortly after he abandoned his wife, he arranged for her to hear in this like very roundabout manner that his memory had impaired, had been impaired in a train wreck. So he just kind of like forgot about his family and like just went somewhere else. Um, This was like very typical of Holmes. He wouldn't just simply abandon them. He would have to create some elaborate story um, to explain the situation. That is how you get caught when you're like, I gotta lie, but I gotta build a world around the lie. He is a mastermind of manipulation and with a tangling of lies and fraud and just you wait. Um, Is this gonna be the next Shonda Rhimes show? No. Because I'm getting scandal vibes already. Oh, Okay. Um, I, I just think know that H.H. Was... Holmes is Olivia Pope. <laughs> I don't think so. Amelia Earhart I'm... is his second wife. Of course, of course. So after he dabbled a bit in some pretty petty theft, he had an unsuccessful attempt to swindle an insurance company out of twenty thousand dollars with another planted body. So oh, he planted. He oh. stole the cadaver, planted it as this resident who died, and collected their insurance money. What happened to the resident? Uh, well, he probably killed them. Oh. Um, oh, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> so, he was very young, but at this time, he turned up in Chicago at about 1885 as H.H. H. Holmes. So, that's when this name comes about. Chicago, the big city of the West. So, when he was in Chicago, he married the daughter of a very well-to-do family in Wilmette, which was, um, like a suburb of Chicago. Uh-huh. And this set him up for a pyramid of fraud and credit. So what he would do, he would borrow with worthless notes and smooth talk enough money to buy a lot. Then to pay okay. to repay that original loan, he would borrow on the lot. Then he would build a house. He would hire workers, fire workers, just on and off. He threatened suit against subcontractors and cajoled them to, like, stall paying them. Like, he just, he created this web of lies. Ugh, what a dick. So, He'd be great at shutting down the government, but... <laughs> um, as soon as the roof was on this house that he would build, or this building, he would order a huge quantity of furniture and other merchandise on credit. Mm-hmm. He would sell the furniture to pay the workmen and the loan on the lot. 
And by the time the furniture company would come around to repossessing the property, the furniture was gone. And so was Holmes. Oh, shit. Okay. That's also very complicated and has a lot of moving parts. But okay. This whole, like, fair warning, this whole case does. And it's confusing as fuck. So. Okay. Yeah. I wonder what his credit score was. I think they didn't have those. I don't know. Equifax and TransUnion, get on this dude. (laughs) So, while all of this is happening, he found time to father three children with his wife there in Wilmette. He's found the time. He's like, I got ten minutes here, (laughs) ten minutes there. I imagine he wasn't very long-lasting. This this is my Sex in the City audition. Is it really? With your wine, while you're (laughs) holding your wine. I imagine he was a firefighter, but did he have a big house? Oh my god, Tyler. (laughs) Um, He also just established himself as a very solid citizen. Like, people really liked Holmes. Um, His wife knew nothing of all of his fraudulent activities. I mean, I would hope not. They were rapidly becoming, like, more and more numerous. One venture that he did while he was in Chicago was he created a company. It was a copy company where people would, like, transcribe stuff, I think. Um, It failed, um, and he most likely murdered all of his co-workers oh. instead of paying them. Um, we're mean, not entirely sure. That's an option, I so, guess. <laughs> the next thing he did was he transferred his activities to the Inglewood District, which was centered on 63rd Street there in Chicago. Hmm. He began working um, a very humble job as a clerk at a drugstore on 63rd and Wallace Street. And before long, he'd bought out or driven out the proprietress. Um, and in 1892, he built on the opposite corner this huge structure later to be known as the Murder Castle. I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So remember I told you about like his fraud pyramid thing that he would do? Yeah. It's a very similar thing that what happens with the Murder Castle, but with a lot of fucking horror intertwined okay so from the outside this murder castle was just this huge building you know an architectural monstrosity and it was far more than 150 feet long and 50 feet wide huge ugly three stories and a basement holmes had it built for the 1893 world's fair there in chicago the Mm -hmm. very first world's fair yeah um and he would continuously hire and fire construction companies so no one ever really got a full picture of the maze that he was building, except for him. Oh. He knew where everything was. So they'd build like a hallway here and stuff, and you'd fire them. Yes. And the, the new construction company would come in with like what, I guess different blueprints and stuff, build a hallway here. and Yes. Oh my god! Staircases that led to nowhere, rooms with no doors. I mean, this was a fucking horror house. Uh, um, yeah. So the building of this castle was proof of his swindling success because all the money that he got, he swindled to build this and then didn't pay people, fired them, etc. The first floor was cut up into different stores, which included a drugstore on the corner Mm -hmm. that he um, owned and operated. The third floor had lots of different apartments. And on the second floor and in the cellar is where the horror chambers were. So it's kind of a hotel it's kind of an apartment it's kind of just this really fucked up building uh but during like the world's fair he would rent out rooms to yeah people. um the interior was honeycombed with trap doors secret passageways walled up rooms 
It was like a haunted house. Jesus. Eventually, Holmes sold the drugstore company uh, by appearing to make it look a lot busier than it was. He would pay people to go to the drugstores and buy a lot of products. And, of course, he's writing these people bad checks. Yeah. But it's how he was able to sell the drugstore. And he took that money, bought a large safe on credit, of course, because that's how he buys everything. Yeah. He moved it into the office of the castle. And then he narrowed the office doorway so the safe could not be taken out. So when the creditors started to come after him... He was like, sure, but you don't damage the hotel property. So they they couldn't get the safe. Mm. Just couldn't get out of the room. Tricky little ship. So he also bought all the furniture for the castle using fake credit. When he refused to pay, the places he bought the furniture from came to repossess it, but it was all gone. Holmes had moved all of the furniture into a single room, taken out the door frame, bricked up the door, and papered the wall. What the fuck? <laughs> Why? Throughout all of this, he is still married to his wife in Wilmette. Uh, but also, he has another wife, Julia Connor, who lived with him at the castle. So Holmes was doing like a double what life thing. Fuck? Where? How do people have that kind of time? I barely have time for like one life. <laughs> how do I people know. have to, like I don't know and I how you can even... convincingly do that like literally going to bed at night like, how do you do that literally right now I cannot conceive of like adding another person to my life like getting a significant other and being able to like spend enough time with them <laughs> let alone two and also I, I guess building a murder castle and sh- what the, dude, dude honestly time management skills are on point Oh, yeah, no, he had some real on-point time management skills. So um, maybe take that word back. Just saying. Well, (laughs) respect the time management, nothing else. Yes. So Julia had been an employee of one of his drugstores. She became his mistress, ended up leaving her husband, and she and her eight-year-old daughter moved into the castle with Holmes. During this time... No, it does not. So during this time, still there in Chicago, he met a man named Benjamin F. Pitzel. Um, and Pitzel will come a, into play. God, people certainly had <laughs> names in the 1800s and early 1900s. They very much did. So Holmes, as I said, you know, he went to med school. He's very widely read. He was also a student of hypnotism and the occult. And he evolved into certain... Of course he was. ...esoteric theories concerning the origin and nature of human life. And he wanted to test them. He wanted to conduct experiments on the human body. And this is where, you know, remember I said he was pretty obsessed with corpses? Well, Mm -hmm. that came back. He was ready for some more important crimes. He wanted some bigger money than his swindling um, and dodging creditors was getting him. Yeah. His career as a mass murderer was pretty brief. He built the murder castle in 1892. And then two years later, he would be in jail. Oh. So these were a very, very busy two years. He met a woman named Minnie Williams. So Minnie and her sister Anna were born in Mississippi. Their parents died poor when the girls were very young. Mm-hmm. Anna stayed in Mississippi with an aunt and Minnie went to Dallas uh, to visit an uncle, Dr. Williams, and Dr. Williams adopted her. In 1886, he sent her to Boston to school and about the time that she graduated... He died, oh. um, but he left her property in Fort Worth that was worth about $20,000. Oh, 
But was it Fort Worth $20,000? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's so bad. I'm sorry, I had to. But also, think about how much money that is in this time period. That is I, an I honestly I don't money. know. You could tell me that that translates <laughs> to like 103,000 and I'd be like, "Oh damn." You could tell me that translates to like 15 million dollars and I believe you. I I literally have no idea. So, before you tell me, I am going to assume, I'm going to guess, give that in 1886 dollars, 20,000 is $610,000. You know, you're Actually, you overshot it. It was oh. about almost $500,000. Well, fuck that. But when you think about how much more the dollar was worth, like, this was a ton of money. I mean, yes. That would be a ton of money for anyone to inherit today, let yeah. alone, like, Half how much purchasing power that much money had back then. Yeah, well, so um, Minnie got that from her uncle, and she took her sister Anna to Dallas, and Anna started school there. So, Minnie became interested in a young man named Harry Gordon. So, his name was Harry Gordon, but did he have a Harry Gord? Oh, God. Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Again, this is still my Sex and the City audition day. (laughs) Just let me live my truth. Harry was handsome, wealthy, highly intelligent, and of course, Harry was fucking Holmes. Like, oh, oh wow. Oh, so no. you're telling me a three ways in the future? No, Harry was Holmes. <laughs> in Dallas? When did he have time to be in Dallas? He went everywhere. Oh my God. Where, so, what are his 16 wives in the Chicago metropolitan area thinking? Well, who knows? Because this is literally just what he did. So in March of 1893, Uh, When Minnie was in her 20s, she went to Chicago and soon wrote to her aunt that she had married her friend and she was very happy. So Holmes married Minnie. I will say, just this last time I interrupt you ever again, but when you say, (laughs) I married my friend in the 1890s, sounds like you might be gay. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just gonna put that out there. That's like when people talk about like, oh yeah, my aunt's friend... Um, they were roommates for 60 years, and I'm like, they were, they were lesbians. (laughs) It's okay. They were lesbians. (laughs) So, it is believed that Holmes committed his first murder for her. At least the first of which we actually know of, but we don't really know of it. Just, just listen. It's fine. It's fine. That lead up was perfect. So, when Minnie arrived at the castle, Holmes was still living with Julia Connor, and Mindy, who was this very attractive, fresh-faced young girl, was jealous of, you know, I don't know if he knew, or I don't know if she knew it was his wife, but she's just really jealous of Julia. Yeah. Um, Holmes killed Julia and her eight-year-old daughter. Fuck. Minnie, of course, knew none of this. Yeah, she's thinking like, oh, homegirl's out of his life now. Yes. So as far as she knew, Julia oh left. God. And she was now, Minnie was now the mistress of the castle. Um, That's a weird title, but okay. Honestly, I kind of want that title. That's my new LinkedIn title. <laughs> mistress of the castle. Yes. <laughs> That's also, it sounds like one of those um, like cheesy romance novels. Oh, God. Mistress of the castle. <laughs> Ugh, just continue. (laughs) So, in all, the murder castle had nearly a 100 rooms. There were staircases that led to nowhere, blind passageways, hinged walls, false partitions, rooms with no doors, rooms with many doors, 
And all of this insanity was centered again on that second floor. That is insane, but I'm sorry, I have to go back. Why is there not a market for people writing those cheesy romance novels that actually turn into, like, a legitimate crime novel? I think it is a... Do you know, though? Do you read them? Do you know that that doesn't already exist? I don't. I mean, that's fair. But I just feel like those are two circles that, on a Venn diagram, fall pretty close to each other. (laughs) True crime fans and cheesy romance novel fans. I feel like, y'all, I feel like we can do this as a community. Well, and when you think about crime, a lot of the time being, you know, because of jealousy and whatnot, it would fit. It would fit together. So Holmes's apartment was on the front of the second floor and a trap door was cut in the bathroom. And from that, there was like this short hidden stairway that led to a windowless cubicle between the floors in the heart of the house. Uh Uh-uh. No, hard pass. So from this office... I don't want office, his little scary trapdoor panic room in the bathroom. From this little office, a chute dropped straight into the cellar. And nope. there was also a dummy elevator that was used to lower bodies into the basement. Nope, 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 nope. Behind Holmes's apartment, on the second floor, there were various rooms. Uh, 40 in total. What the fuck? That's a lot of rooms. <laughs> Near the, in, in these rooms, like... This is where there are, like, ones with no doors, ones with many doors. Like, this is where all of the torture happened. I don't like it. Near the rear of the house was an asphyxiation chamber with no light that had some gas connections. Apparently, it was Holmes' practice to lock victims in this sealed, asbestos-lined room and turn on the gas. What the fuck? So, immediately behind the asphyxiation chamber was another chute where the bodies could be um, put in the basement. Oh my god. I know. But that's like two shoots, fake elevator. What the fuck is this place? Like fucking When you said murder murder castle castle. at the beginning, I was like, okay, that's a lot. But oh my god. No, this was like a murder torture castle. Because in the basement, there were operating tables, a crematory, pits containing quicklime and acid, surgical instruments, and various pieces of apparatus which resembled medieval torture devices. What the fuck? Yeah, they were never fully explained, but one can assume that they were used um, in torture with his victims. So, back to Minnie. Her role in all of this is not completely clear. Uh, She was almost certainly one of his victims, but she may have been his accomplice. She may have known more than she let on. But she still ended up gone. Um, Her Fort Worth real estate was used by Holmes in his schemes, of course. course And she may or may not have known about that. Just a few months after Minnie arrived at the castle, she invited her sister Anna to join her. Oh, girl. So Anna leaves Texas at the end of June in 1893. And on July 4th, she wrote to her aunt saying, Sister, Brother Harry, and myself, because remember, they think Holmes' name is harry gordon yeah sister brother harry and myself would um she's saying they would leave the next day for europe where anna might remain to study art which is like literally setting it up for her to just be gone yeah uh she added did he write this well possibly because she added brother harry says you need never trouble anymore about me financially or otherwise he and sister will see to me so basically he's like, um, I'm going to, or she's like, I'm going to Europe. Um, don't worry about me. I don't need your money. I don't need anything. They got my back. 
Okay. So, obviously, she was never seen or heard from again. Yeah. Holmes himself later said that Minnie killed her younger sister. Uh, He said the two girls had quarreled over Holmes' affections a week after Anna arrived, and he claimed that Minnie had beaten Anna to death with a stool. What the fuck? A stool? (laughs) With a stool. Okay. Um, Holmes added that he obligingly put the body in a trunk, had it weighted with lead, and had it dumped into Lake Michigan three miles offshore. You know, as you do. (laughs) As you do. What most likely happened is that Holmes got a hold of Minnie's money after killing Anna and then killed Minnie. Next, Holmes appeared in Fort Worth as O.C. Pratt. He displayed the title to Minnie's property, borrowed on it, and prepared to build a house in behalf of his partner, someone named Lyman, who was actually Ben Pitzel that I mentioned earlier. Oh. So they started working together. Yeah. Throughout his adulthood, Holmes had many mistresses. Many of his mistresses were his victims. Um, and to them, he, you know, presented himself as this wealthy man, just very educated, very noble, who in truth, you know, he wasn't the one that was rich. They were. Yeah. And he would seduce them, murder them, take their money. Fuck. So when he was in need of some money, you know, the creditors are after him. He set fire to the castle in early November of 1893, and he tried to collect the $60,000 insurance policy. However, proof of loss looked pretty fraudulent, and so did the building's ownership. Holmes had transferred ownership into different names. Sometimes it was fake people, sometimes it was Pitzel, once it was Minnie, like... It just jumped around. So an inspector started following Holmes around and discovered that he had abandoned his family in Wilmot. So at this point, he had already abandoned them. Yeah. And... Damn, Mutual of Omaha Insurance guy is just on it, solving this murder. Well, and that he also abandoned the castle. Yeah. He was supposedly living in a small hotel on the south side with Minnie, is what this investigator or inspector found out. Oh, yeah. Minnie and Holmes moved frequently, and sometimes Ben Pitzel lived with them. And these are some of the reasons why we think maybe Minnie was an accomplice, or she knew more than she was letting on. Yeah. But using a fake name, Holmes appeared at the insurance office to collect, while the clerks kept him occupied. Um, The inspector called on Minnie and told her the plot was exposed. She broke down and surrendered the policy, and the investigator dropped the matter. So maybe this is why Holmes killed her. Because he was um, like, oh, I tried to collect my insurance policy from the murder hotel grand. or the murder castle. Just kidding. I'm going to kill you and collect the, you know, like own your property. So old creditors, um, a lot of, you know, remember the furniture guys, like he furnished this entire yeah. murder castle. They're still after him. So Holmes fled to Denver where he married his third wife, Georgiana Yoke. Uh, many was still alive at this time. This is, you know, when he burned it, whatever, all this shit's going on. And Minnie was actually the witness at his wedding to his third wife. That's fucking weird. So mistress through and through and being there for her man in really weird ways. She is the maiden of death or no, what was her title? She is the mistress of the castle. There we go. So maiden of death better, but maiden of death. Georgiana was never seduced, murdered, or as so much threatened, uh, she was probably the only woman that Holmes actually truly loved. So in the spring of 1894, this is when Minnie was last seen, aka murdered. Yeah. Um, by June, 
Holmes was in jail in St. Louis, charged with a common swindle, and Georgiana was hiring an attorney to defend him. So he got caught on something small. He's thrown in the slammer. In St. Louis? Ew. Yes. So, looking back, in the span of two years, so 1892 to 1894, it's believed that Holmes had, you know, killed more than 20 women in the murder castle. And so Holmes gets out of jail, but he's still on the run. He needs some type of plan because all these creditors are still after him. So he and Ben Pitzel devised an insurance fraud scheme. They would find a cadaver, place it in a room, and set it on fire. They would claim the body is Pitzel and collect his life insurance policy. To accomplish this scheme, Holmes became very close with Ben and his family. He had a wife and five kids. And Mrs. Pitzel was aware of the fraud plan. Okay. So she knows that they're trying to do something to get money. The reasons they're doing it, like, she's given not the truth. Uh, I don't know exactly what reason she was given. But Holmes, however, always kept his wife, Georgiana, unaware of the Pitzels or the plan. Oh. So when they would be, you know, running around, hiding away, he would always have multiple hotel rooms. Like, Georgiana would be there. She'd have one story. Mitz Pitzel had one story. Like, been at a story. Like, it just... Jesus. It was this maze. On September 4th, 1894, someone calls, uh, like, the police saying that there's this one building where the door's locked and it shouldn't be locked. And he enlisted the help of policeman George Lewis of the 8th District. Mm -hmm. And together, they forced the door open and found the body of a man who had apparently been the victim of an explosion. Oh. Burns disfigured the face and the left arm. And next to him, there was a pipe, several matches, and a broken bottle, which apparently had some inflammable fluid similar to benzene. Yeah. And the coroner's physician thought the man had been dead for about three days the dead man was bf perry he was the tenant of the office oh neighbors only knew him as this new inventor fellow that had moved in and that they thought he'd been conducting all these different experiments um so maybe there was an accident but none of the neighbors ever heard any type of explosion huh A coroner's jury decided that he died from burns, and his body was laid unclaimed in the morgue for 10 days, then it was buried in a field. Oh, bye. A few days later, the Fidelity Mutual Life Association of Philadelphia received a letter from St. Louis claiming that B.F. Perry was Benjamin F. Pitzel, whose life was insured by the company. So... Uh, oh, this is totally Holmes. Like, this is the plan that yeah. they put together. And he's calling him. He's like, dude, hey. Um, so a pair of men came to Philadelphia representing the widow, Mrs. Pitzel, mm-hmm. Dr. H.H. H. Holmes, her friend, and Jephtha Rowe, who was her attorney. Mm-hmm. They brought with them the dead man's daughter, Alice, who was about 14 at the time, and explained that Mrs. Pitzel had been too ill to come in person to ID the body. Okay. Holmes said that Pitzel's distinguishing marks included a mole on the back of his neck, a broken nose, uh, his teeth had lots of spaces, and he had this weird twisted fingernail because it had been crushed by a child's rocking chair. They exhumed the body. Holmes identified it very calmly. Alice was very scared, which I get. She's 14 and she's being asked to ID her dad's body. And she knows nothing. Like She thinks this is her dad and her mom's sick, and so she has to do this. His body was moved to another cemetery, 
and the $10,000 insurance money was paid to Holmes acting on behalf of Mrs. Pitzel and the five children. Fidelity later received a letter from Mrs. Pitzel expressing her gratitude that the claim had been paid so promptly. So during this time, Holmes is still keeping Georgiana unaware of the situation and ended up giving her about $2,000 worth of gifts. And this money may have come out of Mrs. Pitzel's portion of the life insurance money, or maybe it was money from Fort Worth, from the property mm-hmm. that he had stolen from Minnie. He actually deeded it to Ben Pitzel. Therefore, oh. it was the the, you know... When he died, it was Mrs. Pitzel's, and he stole from her. So it's yeah. just like, oh. literally, he's stealing everything, trying to cover his own ass and not get caught. Oh, my God. So about two... How does he keep all these storylines together? I don't know. Like, the the mind power it would take to have all of these storylines straight. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Because, yeah, that's not what gets him caught. Okay. So nearly two months after finding the body... A notorious train robber named Marion Hedgepath sent a note to police chief Larry Harrigan offering to disclose details of a plot to defraud the Philadelphia Life Insurance Company, and he hinted at murder. Oh. So the police is like, okay, yeah, what's going on? They got Hedgepath and questioned him, and he said that a few months before, a fellow prisoner named Howard had offered him $500 if he would suggest an attorney who would assist in a foul-proof scheme to make $10,000. Howard planned to ensure the life of B.F. Pitzel, fake a fatal accident, and send Pitzel into hiding, and substitute a body which he would obtain at a morgue, which he would then identify as Pitzel. Howard said he had perpetrated similar frauds at other times. So essentially, Holmes reveals his entire plan to Hedgepath in order to get an attorney that he'll recommend to help out. Hedgepath recommended as an aide Jeff the Howe, who was the younger brother of Hedgepath's own attorney. Oh. Howe suspected that Holmes had double-crossed Pitzel and actually killed him. So that wasn't a body double. It was Pitzel. This is what Howe is, like, thinking. Yeah. And Holmes and Howe got into a huge argument about the money, but settled it. However... Hedgepath was never paid his $500 he was promised. So of course fucking, not. So he fucking turned in Holmes. Yeah. So this is the mistake. Mm. So the police chief contacted the life insurance company and using detectives, the police were on the tail of Howard, which was the alias of H.H. H. Holmes. They still don't know that. Yeah. At this time, Mrs. Pitzel didn't know where three of her five children were. And she was worried that her husband was dead since she had yet to see him after the fraud was completed. So Mrs. Pitzel doesn't know that her husband is truly gone. And Holmes has taken three of their children and they're somewhere. He what keeps, the fuck? He keeps making excuses. He, um, you know, denied there was any murder that had occurred. And he said that her three kids were in South America, Detroit, and England. So he split them up, supposedly for their own safety. Also, South America, England, okay, Detroit. Yeah, I know. Y'all are in the, what, St. Louis, Chicago, wherever? Yeah. So so far. It's not. And eventually, Holmes left Mrs. Pitzel and returned to Vermont to see his very first wife and to see his family. Oh, my God. 
The body, like during this time, the body of Pitzel was exhumed a second time and an autopsy revealed that he died of poisoning by chloroform administered before the explosion and fire. Oh. Holmes was then found and taken into custody in Boston. So Holmes lured Mrs. Pitzel into this trap and she was taken uh, to Philadelphia with him. Here oh, is where... Like in cut by the police? Yes, by the police. Oh. Um, here, Holmes told this baffling collection of lies concerning the whereabouts of Pitzel and the three Pitzel children. Uh, Pitzel, it was then quickly established, was dead. So this is when Mrs. Pitzel finds out that her fears were true. He oh. is dead. And here's where the, a lot of the irony is in this case. Holmes, who had been this long-time, like, very successful swindler was ultimately caught in an investigation launched by an insurance company which believed that they had been defrauded, but they had actually not been defrauded at all. It was Pitzel's body. Oh, my they God. They launched an investigation because they thought... That might not... That's the exact not Pitzel. Plan. Yeah. 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 And it was. Oh, How my God. How fucking ironic is that? Yeah. Um, in searching... The one time he actually didn't defraud... I know. ...launched like... investigation... Mm-hmm. That uncovered all his fraud and murder and all this shit. Oh, my God. I mean, he didn't fraud, but he fucking murdered the guy. I mean, yes. But in searching for the missing children, Detective Frank P. Gare and other officers uncovered Holmes' entire criminal background. So this is when everything starts coming oh out. Oh, my God. They found the bodies of two little, little girls, Nellie and Alice, side by side in a shallow grave in the cellar of a house Holmes had rented in, in Toronto. And they found... The boy Howard's charred bones in a stove in a house in Irvington. What the fuck? A suburb of Indianapolis. So that was the three missing children. He killed them. My God. Then the truth comes out about the murder house. Murder castle. Yeah. But it's burned down at this point. But it's still there. Oh, so it's just like fire damaged. Yes. Okay. Yes. It wasn't completely obliterated. So in October 1895, his trial for the murder of Ben Pitzel began... It was a national affair, like it was one of these high-profile cases. There were no witnesses or like that were brought to the stand to defend him. Uh And and later that year, like he was quickly sentenced to hanging for his murder. Yeah, like the jury was just like, "No, you fucking did it." Um, He died on the gallows when he was only thirty-five years old. My God. No investigation was ever really put forward in the murder castle, which is why we will never know the total victims of all his mm-hmm. wicked crimes. We just have some of his like jailhouse confessions. Yeah. And in the space of two years, Holmes is believed to have, to have killed more than 20 women in the murder castle. God. However, newspapers of the day hinted that the correct total could be closer to 200. Oh, and my God. The reason they were saying this is because they pointed out great numbers of people who visited the fair in 1893 and disappeared. So oh. there is a lot of... Because he built it, like, purpose-built it for, for the, the fair. fair. Oh, yes. my God. And with people traveling in and out, easy to scoop them up, like, yeah. he potentially killed hundreds of people. Jesus. It's believed that these victims were chloroformed, gassed, strangled, or probably beaten to death. Their bodies were destroyed in cellar pits containing quicklime and acid, like I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. 
And some of their skeletons were stripped of their flesh and sold by Holmes, who was determined to make money on his crimes. What the fuck? So he would sell them to schools and yeah. whoever would need. Because he had he knew he knew people. He had gone to med school. Yeah. He knew where to sell them. However, we don't know why Holmes murdered Pitzel. Did he never give any reason? No. Like, they were partners. Like, Pitzel was swindling with him like they created this whole plan i wonder if pitzel found out about the murders who knows what yeah. pitzel found out but you know we don't know that we also don't know why holmes who has so many connections and can swindle his way out of anything talked to hedgepath for an attorney yeah. and that's eventually what got him caught so um that is the really really fucked up so abbreviated version, unfortunately, of AJ Tolmes. So I can I mentioned American Horror Story Hotel earlier. One thing about the case I will talk about soon is that that season very much based on this. I did not realize how much of that season was based on AJ Tolmes as well. Really? Yeah. Like oh my god. Yeah. It's so horrifying and I don't want to watch Leonardo do this. DiCaprio, not Da Vinci. Right. Um, although he was named after Da Vinci. In case you're you sure he wasn't named after the turtle? Yeah, I'm positive. Okay. But yeah, H.H. Holmes was a for real monster. Yeah. I mean, the things that he did, it's it's just, it blows my mind. It's up there with like Albert Fish type fucked up stuff. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's horrifying. H.H. Holmes. Albert. <laughs> yeah, AJ Holmes is known as like America's first serial killer, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think I'm making this up. I don't think I'm making this up, but I think there are some people that say he could be Jack the Ripper. Oh, with how much he traveled around and how much killing he did. Although I I, I don't. Who the hell knows? But who knows? Okay. So AJ Holmes, motherfucking monster. Show okay. So that was, like I was saying, definitely an abbreviated version um, because H.H. Holmes is so beyond fucked up that it was hard to, because I think Last Podcast on the Left has like a four part series about him. Maybe it's three. It's just so much detailed. Yeah. Which, I, it would be interesting to for us to do a three parter series or something like that. Or not series, but like find a case or something that, and l- let me know if y'all would be interested in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that just has that so much detail that we can really be able to dive in. Yeah, let but, us know what y'all think of that. Yeah, but um, tell me about your murder case. Yes, your murder hotel. Yes, case hotel murder. So mine is the other well known one it's the cecil hotel yes. in los angeles oh i knew it so mine i used a couple sources i used wikipedia oh my god i did not reveal my source reveal how dare you <laughs> <laughs> reveal your reveal. source was it deep throat okay so this was a fantastic article it was in harper's magazine from december 1943 and it was written by um john bartlow martin and it was one that they took from the 1943 paper or magazine and posted it online um, early, like, February 2018. Oh. So, but it was this extensive, long article. I just used the one source. Because, guys, there are, like, sources out the ass for H.H. Holmes. So this was just, like, 
perfect. So oh. y'all should absolutely Google that. Um, John Bartlow Martin. Okay. So anyway, back to my case since yours is over. Yes. Sorry. Um, tell me your sources. So, I just had this like, oh, no, shit that's moment. fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, my sources, Wikipedia, Country Living, All That's Interesting, Ranker, and Historic Mysteries. Which, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is, though. So little bit of um, background. So the Cecil Hotel, it's a hotel there in Los Angeles that is famous for what I'm about to go into. And you can actually stay there still today. It's now branded as Stay on Main. And it's oh, a two-star they hotel. they changed the name? They did for reasons you will understand at the end. But yeah. you can stay there. It's a two-star hotel there in downtown Los Angeles. And I mean, if you want to... Fair. So the Cecil was constructed in 1924 by William Banks Hanner, and it was envisioned as a destination for business travelers and tourists. It was designed by Loy Lester Smith in a very beau art style, so very Art Deco, French inspired. And the hotel cost $1 million to complete, which was a fuck ton of money back then. Yeah, because you said this is in the 20s? Yeah, 1924. Wow. So it had this like very opulent marble lobby with stained glass windows, potted palm trees, and an alabaster statue. So it sounds gorgeous. It, it absolutely was and is. Uh, so Hannah had invested confidently in this hotel knowing that there were very many similar hotels that were being established elsewhere downtown. But within five years of the Cecil's opening, the U.S. sank into the Great Depression. Oh, yeah. So it did survive the Great Depression, and it did flourish as a very fashionable destination into the 40s. It began to decline soon after. and. The surrounding area kind of fell and became known as Skid Row. Oh my god, it's over there? Yeah. It became... Which, sorry, just to sidetrack here, the term Skid Row actually originated in Seattle on, I believe, Yesler is the street now, but that was the original Skid Row, and it was... Do you know um, what it means? So it means that it's for people that were on the skids, which was at the time just a term for poor people. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so it, but yeah, it originated in Pioneer Square, Yesler area of Seattle. And I didn't know that. I always thought it was just LA because that's where I've heard of Skid Row. No. So the area around Cecil became known as Skid Row and the Cecil became a budget hotel that attracted displaced people, including a lot of people that were involved in prostitution and drugs. Yeah. So, over 16 deaths of non-natural occurrences... Over 16? 16. And unexplained paranormal events have taken place in the hotel over the years. So, suicides, murders, just unexplained shit, too. Like, it... Yeah. Yeah. And due to this high number of unexplained deaths, rumors started surfacing that the hotel was haunted. And to add to the rumors, the hotel acted as a temporary home for some of the grisliest murderers in American history. Wait, like they lived there for extended periods? Yeah. Okay, please tell me who. So, I will. 
later. All right. <laughs> so today the Cecil bears the unofficial title as the most haunted hotel in Los Angeles. So I'm going to get into the story of the Cecil 16, which is a phrase I just made up. The 16 unexplained deaths <laughs> and murders and suicide stuff that went on there. So what is the hotel in Oklahoma City that's haunted? Uh, it's the Skirvin. So I did like a ghost tour at the Skirvin. Really? Yeah, it was back when I worked in downtown Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. and we, you know, walked upstairs, and it wasn't an official tour, it was because we knew someone, and we were there for okay, something. that makes more sense, because I read an article by Steve Lackmeyer, who he works for the Oklahoman there in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Love him. Uh, shout out to you, Steve. But that he wrote, like, two, three weeks ago, actually. Oh. That was talking about the Skirvin, because... There's a lot of ghost stories associated with it, yep. but the owners do not like that image of No, of course of it. they don't. They're like, no, no, no. Because there have been a couple like documentaries that have wanted to feature the Skirvin, and the yeah. owners are like, no. We are a hotel. We are not a little ghost palace. Yeah. Stay the hell away from us. I mean, in nicer terms. I'm sure they're great people, and I totally understand not wanting to be the ghost hotel. Right. Well, and this was back... In like 09 or something. So it was a while ago. But we had like an unofficial tour. And it was because we knew someone who worked there who had a lot of knowledge. And so they kind of, we didn't get to go into the room. So it was like, these are some of the rooms. And this is some of the stuff that happened. Mm -hmm. And it was really creepy. And then we went and just had like drinks at the bar. But uh, that hotel was beautiful. But that's my only experience being in like a hotel that's supposedly haunted. Um, and it was kind of creepy. I mean, let's creepy. be real. As far as hotels go, I've stayed in many a Motel 6. And I'm pretty sure if the hotel's going to be haunted, it's going to be one of those. You're damn right. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, the Cecil 16. Just saying, that is now trademarked. I made that up. I'm proud of myself for that. I like it. Um, so, the first mysterious death occurred on November 19th of 1931 when a nationwide manhunt came to a screeching halt after the man in question was found dead in his hotel room. Oh. W.K. Norton, which what the hell is with old people and just using their first two initials? Just sidebar, but... No idea. So W.K. Norton, who was 46, was found dead after ingesting some poison capsules. A week later, he checked into the Cecil under the name James Willis from Chicago. And his death is appears to be one of the earliest known suicides at the hotel and his body had been in his room for over a week when it was found oh my god so the second one in november of 1932 a maid found benjamin dodich who was 25 dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head but he didn't leave a suicide note number three in late july of 1934 a former Army Medical Corps Sergeant Louis D. Borden, who was 53, was found dead in his room at the Cecil. He had slashed his own throat with a razor. Oh my and, god. Yeah. And he'd left many suicide notes, one of which pointed to his poor health as one of the reasons for suicide. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So then, March of 1937, 30s were not a good time for this hotel. No, not at all. 25-year-old Grace E. Magro died as a result of either falling or jumping from the window of her room on the ninth floor of the Cecil. So she came out of either the window. Either fell out or somehow. jumped. Instead of hitting the sidewalk below, 
she landed in the telephone wires on the of the telephone poles next to the hotel and she got tangled up in them so she's like tangled up in the wires hanging above the street oh my god she was taken to a nearby hospital but eventually died of her injuries yeah and the police were unable to determine if her death was an accident or a suicide. And M.W. Madison, who was the sailor that she was sharing the room with, yeah. uh, couldn't explain why she had plunged from the window. So number five, in January of 1938, still in the 30s, a Marine fireman Roy Thompson, who was 35, jumped from the Cecil's top floor and was found on the skylight of a neighboring building. <gasps> He oh, lived at the geez. Cecil for several weeks. Oh my god. Number six. In May of 1939, Navy officer Erwin C. Neblet, who was 39, was found dead in his room after ingesting poison. Why are there all these suicides? I have no idea. I remember it. That was number six of 16. I know. Oh so, god. Number seven. In September of 1944, Dorothy Jean Purcell, who was 19, was sharing a room at the Cecil with a shoe salesman, Ben Levine, who was 38. And Dorothy, who had apparently been unaware that she was pregnant, went into labor. Oh my god. I don't know how you get to nine months pregnant and not know because of many reasons. One, I feel like you would show, and if you were not showing, you would... I feel like you would notice you miss your period for nine months, but I, yeah. you know, okay, you know, maybe a lot of women do spot during pregnancy. Maybe she thought, that, but again, still, what about the thing moving around inside you? Yeah. When you're like nine months pregnant, that kid's dancing. Uh, yeah, you would. And I've heard there used to be that show. I didn't know I was pregnant on like TLC or something. Yeah. yeah. Which I would watch and be just always scared of. I was like. A young kid, I was not even having sex. And I'm like, am I pregnant? Because terrifying. Fair. Oh my God. Okay, sorry. Go but ahead. yeah. So she testified that she didn't want to disrupt her sleeping partner. So she went to the bathroom where she gave birth to a baby boy. Again, I don't know I don't know how, how you silently have birth, but okay. I don't know how you quietly have a baby in the bathroom while your partner sleeps. You know, just do. So she thought the baby was dead. So she threw him out the window where he landed on the roof of an adjacent building. Threw her baby out the window. Oh. He wasn't dead. My God. Yeah. So she was obviously charged with murder. Yeah. And three psychiatrists tested that she was mentally confused at the time of the incident. And in January of 1945, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Then. Which number- I feel like it could almost just be like pure fucking shock. Although, Don't I mean, throw babies out windows. Not that, no, no, like, hold babies, Have a babies. stick of gum after you have silent birth in the bathroom. Don't throw your baby out the yeah. window. Yeah. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying no, it no, was I okay. Know. I'm just saying I get it because um, I'm sure that I, I mean, I guess not knowing case. you're pregnant and being like, what the actual fuck? So, victim number eight of the hotel was in November of 1947, Robert Smith who's 35, died after jumping from the seventh floor of the Cecil. Jeez. Number nine, on October 23rd of 1954, Helen Gurney, who was a middle-aged woman from San Diego, 
committed suicide by jumping from the window of her room on the seventh floor. And instead of falling to the street below, her body landed on the marquee of the Cecil on the side. I knew someone was going to land on the marquee. This is awful. Mm -hmm. And a witness to the incident was so disturbed by her death that he had to be taken to a nearby hospital. And Helen, who actually stayed at the hotel for a week prior, had checked in to the Cecil under the name Margaret Brown. Oh, okay. So after her suicide, the press publicized the unit that she'd been staying in, which made room 704 a popular request. What? it It was the one she jumped from, so... And people wanted to stay there. Yep. Okay, people. Why? Wanted Why are you doing and that? Still want to. Why are you doing it, people? Why? Yeah, don't do that. So number ten on February eleventh of nineteen sixty-two. Although to be fair, it sounds like anyone staying at the Cecil is wanting to stay there now because of all of this. Oh, I'm sure. I am sure. So Julia Frances Moore, who was fifty, jumped from the window of her eighth floor room and landed in a second story interior light well. She didn't leave a suicide note and found in her possessions was a bus ticket to St. Louis, 59 cents in change, and an Illinois bank book that showed a balance of $1,800. God. What any of that means, who knows. So now 11 and 12, on October 12th of 1962, Pauline Otten, who was 27, jumped from the window of her ninth floor room after an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. Uh Uh-huh. Dewey had left the room prior to her jumping, and she actually landed on a pedestrian, George Giannini, who was 65, and killed both of them instantly. Oh my god. So there were actually no witnesses to the event, so police initially thought that Pauline and George had committed suicide together, But it was soon determined that he had his hands in his pockets at the time of his death, and he was still wearing his shoes, which, had he jumped, his shoes would have probably fallen off during the fall or on impact. Yeah. So, yeah, she jumped and landed on a man. Oh, my God. So that was 11 and 12. Wow. Oh, 13. On June 4th of 1964, a hotel worker discovered a woman who was nicknamed Pigeon Goldie. And she was a retired telephone operator, um, but was found dead in her room. She had been raped, stabbed, and beaten, and her room had been ransacked. Goldie was well-known around the area and had earned her nickname because she fed birds in the nearby Perishing Square. Near her body was the Los Angeles Dodgers cap that she always wore and a paper sack full of bird seed. So soon after her corpse was discovered... Officers arrested a 29-year-old named Jacques B. Ellinger, who was a young man who'd been seen walking through Pershing Square covered in blood, was an acquaintance of Goldie, and admitted to being near the hotel at the time of the murder. So while he seemed like the person, the perfect suspect, he was cleared of the crime and released. They didn't... I didn't look too, too much into it, but they either didn't find evidence that linked him really... Or they found evidence that proved he couldn't have. Couldn't. Wow. So, unfortunately, the person who is responsible for her murder has never been caught. This list is so much. Yeah. Number 14. On December 20th of 1975, a woman who's still unidentified to this day jumped from her 12th floor window 
um, and landed on the Cecil's second floor roof. Uh, she had registered at the hotel four days before on the 16th. Number 15, on February well, 19th. She was unknown, so I guess she was using an alias. She might have been using an alias, may have just not been, not had any identification. I mean, it was the 70s, so. Oh, yeah. If if someone, it's before DNA, so if they don't have any identification, if they're using a fake name, probably. Yeah. Then There's no who way of knowing. They? Yeah. yeah. So, the 15th person, on February 19th of 2013, the body of Elisa Lamb was found. And we will revisit her here in a little bit. Okay. And the final person, number 16, on June 13th of 2015, the body of a 28-year-old man was found outside the hotel. And it very much appeared that he had committed suicide by jumping from the hotel. Though a spokesperson for the county coroner uh, informed that the cause of death had not been determined. So... No, I don't want to know this number, but it. I wonder, a high-profile hotel, what the suicide rates are, or what the suicide rate is in hotels. Like, yeah. is it because we're all focusing on the Cecil that this sounds so horrifying? Or is it literally more than what's not necessarily normal? It definitely should yeah. should be more than normal, but... I think this is more than normal, but I think a lot of it has to do of uh, the area of LA that it's in after it became Skid Row. Because th- this hotel, at least in my mind, does not seem that big. It has 600 rooms. Yeah. But to me, for a big city downtown hotel, I don't feel like that's a lot. Although that might be a shit ton. Well, and with where it's located, you're right. Like, unfortunately, maybe this is what people determine yeah. is where they want to well, where they want to die. Lives. I mean, I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's a lot more deaths that include things like overdoses in this hotel that aren't included there. Yeah. But I, I think due to some of the brutality of those things, and what I'm about to get into next is kind of why it has this notoriety. Yeah. So a few other horrifying things that are attached to the hotel are that it was the residence of American serial killer Richard Ramirez. Jesus, the Night Stalker. Yeah. So, Ramirez was a serial killer and rapist who was known as the Night Stalker. And he terrorized Los Angeles and San Francisco from June of 1984 to August of 1985. So, a little over a year. Yeah. And murdered at least 13 victims. He was a practicing Satanist and he brutally killed both men and women using a variety of weapons including a hammer, a tire iron, handguns, knives, and a machete. Oh so, my god. During the time that Ramirez was breaking into homes in and around LA and assaulting, murdering, raping, and robbing the occupants, he was a guest at the Cecil. Uh. He lived there. Ramirez stayed in a room on the top floor and paid just $14 a night for a place um, to return to after committing all these murders. <sighs> And he would often throw his bloody clothing into the Cecil's dumpster. Wow. So the Cecil also played host to Johann Jack Unterweger, who was an Austrian journalist and author who had been released from prison after murdering a teenage girl when he was young. Oh. And he stayed at the, ho- at the Cecil in 1991 while he was researching a story about crime in Los Angeles. Unbeknownst to authorities in Austria or the U.S., 
Following his parole from prison, Unterweger killed a number of women in Europe, and during his visit to California, he murdered at least three sex workers while he was a guest at the Cecil. Jeez. Oh my god. So, yeah, he's one of Austria's, like, most famed serial killers. Yeah. And he stayed and murdered at the Cecil. So, the Cecil also has connections to one of the most famous murders in Los Angeles history. Elizabeth Short. Yep. Better known as the Black Dahlia. Yep. Because, you know, it was like one of the last places she was ever seen. Yeah, she was last seen at the Cecil's Bar just a few days before her murder in January of 1947. Yep. So, um, just so y'all know... I did Black Dahlia in episode two, because that was my gateway murder. Like, this was the case that really sparked my interest in true crime. Yeah. And um, the case I did in that episode was Patrick Sherrill, who, if yeah. you've never heard of, uh, honestly, not super, super surprised, but, but the phrase heard the going phrase. postal uh, spawned from his crime. So, check out episode two if you haven't. Yeah. Anyways... Um, I want to go into a little more detail on the death of Elisa Lam. Which is so, so weird. It's so bizarre. And her death is one of those that, at least in modern times, is the most notorious associated with this. Yes. By modern times, I mean, like, in the 2000s, 2010s era. Yeah. Because obviously there have been so many associated with this hotel. Yeah. But hers was one that... If you hadn't heard of the Cecil before then, after 2013, you heard of it. Yes. So, Elisa Lam was a 21-year-old Canadian student who was studying in Vancouver. And in January of 2013, she embarked alone on what she intended to be a tour of a bunch of different cities on the west coast of the U.S. Yeah. She began her holiday in San Diego, visited the zoo... And she wrote about the city on her Tumblr blog, and then she continued on and arrived in L.A. on January 26th. She was, you know, starting from San Diego, working her way up back to Vancouver kind of thing, as what sounds like an awesome vacation. Yeah, no, it really does. So once in Los Angeles, she checked into the Cecil Hotel. And after about five days of sightseeing... Elisa was scheduled to check out of the hotel and continue her journey on to Santa Cruz, California. On this day, though, her parents didn't get their daily phone call from her. And this was very unlike Elisa. She called them every single day. Yeah. Like clockwork. So when they missed the call, they were like, okay, something's up. Yeah. So they contacted the LA police to report her disappearance. Wow. Just one day. And they were like, something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So hotel staff said that she was alone on the morning of her disappearance, and a manager of a nearby bookstore, who was the last person who reportedly saw her alive, described her as very outgoing, very lively, very friendly, and she had come into his store to buy gifts for her family. Yeah. So police proceeded to search the hotel with uh, dogs, like scent tracking dogs, but they were unable to really search the building to a thorough extent because there wasn't any probable cause that a crime had been committed. Right. She just could have left and lost her phone or left and ran away. Yeah. Like, there's no evidence. So they really couldn't do a ton. Yeah. And they found nothing. Yeah. But they weren't going to stop trying because the police department was with the family on this. Like, okay, yeah. 
this like doesn't something's sound up. Right. This is suspicious. So on February sixth, the LAPD posted flyers around the neighborhood, and they just urged anyone with any information to come forward. Yeah. And a week passed with no new leads, and then things started getting a little bizarre. On February sixteenth. The LAPD released a surveillance video from the hotel that was taken on the 1st of February. Yeah. And this video shows Elisa in one of the hotel's elevators, and she's acting very strange. Yeah. She runs into the elevator, and she's peeking in and out. She's hiding in the corner. She's pressing multiple buttons and erratically gesturing and dancing in the hallway outside of the elevator. And it looks like she's speaking to someone yeah off camera that you don't see and she then exits the elevator and the doors close and open close and open again just a few times yeah before the video ends it's, so it's just so very weird. strange you can easily find this video online yeah. it is so weird because it's and m- creepy yeah um by the time of the video's release there was a lot of media attention on this case And it emerged, that was when it kind of really emerged in the media and in the public mind of the Cecil's history of all the criminal activity and murders and suicide that had gone on in the past. Oh, yeah. So the disappearance of this young college student played very heavily on the consciousness of the public and the very confusing and peculiar behavior that was uh, seen in the elevator video spawned just a ton of different theories about her disappearance things from drug intoxication to mental disorders to even demonic possession yeah this is i knew there was a ton of paranormal Mm -hmm. um things that that were potentially the the cause of whatever happened to her so it was around this time that guests in the hotel begin to complain about a strange taste and an interesting color in the water, and they were having low water pressure in their rooms. So employees began investigating the plumbing of the building, and, you know, they couldn't find anything in the pipes, they had multiple guests, so they went up to the water tanks on the roof, and that's when they made a very gruesome discovery. In one of these tanks, floating naked next to her clothes and belongings, was the partially decomposed body of Elisa Lamb. Oh my god. So the discovery of her body brought up way more questions than it answered. Yeah. Also, do you think the first season of How to Get Away with Murder was influenced by this case? I mean, a thousand percent, yes. Like, it had to have been. Oh, yeah. But also... How horrifying. And I'm sure they didn't tell the guests right then. I'm sure they came up with mm-hmm. something and they were like, oh, sorry, we have to shut off the water while the hotel. Could you imagine being hotel management at that time? And it's oh, like, yeah. oh, my fucking God. I'm, what You know, happened? I'm sure for a we don't know now what's in the water, like health and safety thing. I'm sure they had to evacuate the hotel and all the guests had to go to the hospital to be tested. I would hope like, so. I, I mean, same. I would hope so. I would hope that that would be the course of action. But I can very much see them being like, oh, nothing's going on. Here's some bottled water. Don't shower here. Well, I mean, they would turn off all the water. Yeah, and they might be and like, oh, the well, we had an like... issue with the water pipes. So, I don't yeah. know. 
So oh my God. the autopsy showed no evidence of trauma or sexual assault, no traces of drugs, and no evidence that she had attempted suicide. My God. So it doesn't look like it's murder. Doesn't look like it's a drug-related accident. And it yeah. doesn't look like it's suicide. So they listed it, her death, as accidental drowning. Which... I guess... So once they decided that, the investigation ceased, even though there are a ton of vital questions that are not answered. They really just stopped the investigation. Yeah. So a couple things to highlight in this of why it, one, baffling that they stopped the investigation. Yes. And two, why accidental drowning just doesn't make sense. So these water tanks were propped up on cement blocks and were not easy to access. And they had very heavy and difficult to open lids, which these lids were found closed with her body inside. Also, access to the roof is locked and alarmed. So how could she have gotten up there in the first place? Yeah. Let alone gotten up to the top of this water tank that's not easy to get to, opened this heavy-ass lid, gotten into it, and also closed the lid behind her. Yes, and then drowned. Yeah. So, the video remained the prominent source of confusion and discussion even after her body was found. The questions around it, you know, were, was her baffling behavior as a result of her bipolar disorder that she did have? You know, maybe she was having a manic phase. And... There were also a lot more sinister alternatives thrown around there that her movements can be explained by an interaction with another individual that you can't see in the video who yes. is pursuing her. And yes. she's trying to hide from them. Yes. So, I've heard that one yeah. and it's horrifying when you think of that and watch the video. Yeah. So, interestingly enough, it the video looks like that it's been altered. In some way. What? The timestamp on the video is obscured. Some parts of the video appear to be slowed down. And there's nearly a minute of footage that has been subtly removed in the middle of the video. Oh my god. Yeah. So what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Also, very disturbingly, Elisa's Tumblr blog remained active for many months after her death. What? Most people try to explain this as just, like, auto-posting features. So, in Tumblr, you can queue posts to be like, oh, I want to post this in three months. Oh, I want to post this in ten hours. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, schedule. But her phone was never found after her death. Like, in the tank. Uh Uh-huh. Anywhere near her. So, someone could have been posting for her also. Oh, my God. So, one last thing that I want to touch on is... That there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn between Elisa's death and the horror movie Dark Water. Oh. So this film follows the tenants of a building who experience black water coming from their faucets and other eerie shit going on. I feel and, like I remember this. See, I have never heard of this movie. Um, I just, I'm just imagining like the sink being turned on and like black water coming out. Fair. What I'm picturing. Dark Water. So all of this culminates in the grisly discovery of the body of a girl decaying in the rooftop water tank. Which is literally what happened here. Yeah. This movie was released in 2005. 
So before this happened. Yeah. Oh my god. Eight years before her death. So do they think potentially whoever's involved used that as like a well guide? The official investigation is closed. Her death's accidental da- drowning. Oh my so god. So the they in thinking this is armchair detectives and people looking at this evidence at home being like, this shit does not add up. Yeah. And it, it doesn't. doesn't. There's no way that I fully, fully do not believe that she could have gotten herself into this water tank. Even if she was suicidal, even if she had had a manic uh, episode earlier yeah. and was now having a depressive episode and wanting to kill herself. One, there is no way she could have physically gotten herself into this. I think it was like a 14 foot high tall or 14 foot tall water tank. Yeah, it's like how did she get up it, there? Lifted it as up. Secondly, if she was wanting to kill herself, she would have done what the other dozens of people jumped done and jumped from the Cecil. Like if oh she had God. somehow already gotten herself to the roof and her goal was to commit suicide. She would have jumped. She would have jumped. And I do not believe she was trying to kill herself. No. I do not believe she did this to herself. I, and this is just theories. Um, you know, please, please don't at me, Cecil Hotel. But I have to wonder if, due to the fact that she needed help to access the roof. Yeah. She needed someone else to put her in the water that tank. That it was a worker. The video got erased. I think someone at the Cecil knows more. Yeah. Or was involved. No, that absolutely sounds like it. Because how else would you be able to do all mm-hmm. of those things if you didn't work there? Yeah. I see. I To me, that is the most likely scenario, is that someone working at the Cecil did this. Obviously, that is my opinion, based yeah. on what I've seen, based on the stuff I've looked into. But I, I don't understand how this can be closed I don't either. That blows my mind Mm -hmm. that they were just like, oh, well, we don't know if it was this, this, or this. So, accidental drowning. Okay, done. But to this day, that's what it is, and the case is closed. God, not cool at all. Not cool at all. Yeah. God. Okay. So, that... Well, I can tell you I'm never staying there. I mean, is it is it weird that I kind of... Maybe not stay there. Yes. I don't want to stay there. You I want to visit? see it. No, I mean, I would be all about seeing yeah. it as in like the what they don't do, but like a yeah. ghost tour type thing. No, my friend and I are kind of planning a trip to Los Angeles in the future, maybe latter half of this year. So you want to check it out when and you're there? One of, yeah, one of the trips or one of the points we booked. She loves true crime. Yeah. She loves paranormal. So well, the Cecil Hotel kind of coincides in all of that. Yeah. And she really wants to see it. And I'm like, let's fucking do it. Because do, do it. I want to get a room there? No. Nope. No, not really. Do I want to see it? Yes. Yes, Also, that's from different. an architecture perspective, my favorite architecture style is Art Deco. So I would love to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Because they've renovated it and kind of restored a lot of the Art Deco pieces. Yeah. But holy fucking shit. Something is up with this hotel. Absolutely. The fact that so many people have gone there to commit suicide or died or they were murderers and they stayed there. Yeah. It's so creepy. Like, 
How can so many people think of the one mm-hmm. this one place? I, I don't know. I hate part it. Part of it, the rational side of my mind tries to think of it as, you know, some murders happened to it when it was still like this opulent fancy hotel, okay? Right. And then, you know, when it became Skid Row, yeah, it's a place to, it, you know, maybe it's, it has the reputation of a place to disappear in. Yes. A place to, you know... A lot of transients are there. A lot of drug users are there. People kill themselves. Like, it's it's a place that can be seen by a lot of people as kind of like the end of the earth. hmm And then from that and more people going there maybe to kill themselves, it gets this reputation as this, I don't know, almost like portal to hell. This, like, oh, disturbed... God. Um, fucking like haunted place, this evil place where death happens. I was just thinking and of then like that's, fire. That's why Richard Ramirez stays there, and this creepy fucking Austrian serial killer stays. So the rational side of me thinks, okay, I think you know this shit just snowballed, and that's yeah. how it became. But then it's also like, okay, cool. Why didn't other hotels snowball like this? What about? You know, in the very beginning, it talks about all the other hotels are just like this going up in L.A. Why aren't they also known as these creepy fucking murder capitals? So, I don't don't know. know. I personally don't think it was haunted. I also do not believe in ghosts or paranormal stuff at all. But, I don't know. A lot of unexplained shit goes on in this fucking hotel. And you can stay there tonight. Look at on Priceline. Probably. So, I just looked it up, and it turns out you actually can't stay there right now because they're currently renovating it. Uh, They're turning it into uh, little, like, micro-apartments. But (laughs) it should be open this year. I'm sorry, So, you can live there. You you don't just stay at the Cecil. You live live at the the Cecil, Cecil and you die at the Cecil. Yeah, apparently. So, no, hard pass. Well, sorry. Oh, my God. That was crazy. I know. This case is fucking just, yeah. This this place, but it's a like na- a national register of historic places. Like they can't tear it down. No, no. It, Cecil oh will god. always be there. Oh my god! Until California falls into the ocean, which is not how plate tectonics work. But that's beside the point. Um. So, uh, post mortem. Post mortem. Okay. So what? Um. Wow. First off. Yeah. Wow. What a comparison. Uh, what crazy cases. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna let you go first. Well, I know who I think had the just more fucked up case. So. They were both fucked up. They were. And the Cecil, while it's terrifying, just how much fucking death goes on in it. H.H. Holmes was one person doing all of that. Uh, His he little was like murder festival, monster. murdered Camelot. What's Castle? Murder Castle. Castle? Yeah, he's um, a monster. Is just no, absolutely not, and that it, it could be up to two hundred victims plus. And that's a guess. Yeah, and that just that well, he and when you purpose think... built this building for. Just, just to murder people, to murder to and get torture people and... inside to destroy that. Yeah, no. So I absolutely think that once again, I will be picking the topic in the next episode. 
But yes. what is what are your thoughts? Oh, I, I agree. I mean, the Cecil creeps me the fuck out, but H.H. H. Holmes scares me. Like, yeah. he is an absolute monster. And the fact that we will never truly know his number of victims. And when you think about it, his murder spree supposedly started when he was still in med school, which was at the begin- the very beginning of my case. Yeah. So... Why he would wait so many years without killing someone else and then have this murder hotel? Like, no. I believe he has so many victims that we will unfortunately never know about. Absolutely. So, um, so no. I agree. I think I will pick the topic next time. And I'm just going to say, this is the third episode in a row. So, the next topic, <laughs> I will bring the... Gavel? I don't know what the phrase bring is. Bring the big guns. I, I don't like that. I don't, I like don't guns. either. I, I hate will that. bring the hammer. Bring the hammer. I I will bring it and we will together build a case of pure, unadulterated nightmare Terror. fodder. So. Yes, we will. We will. So, okay, I will once again pick the wine, which <laughs> I am totally cool with. Okay. <laughs> but I just really like the phrase nightmare fodder. No, um, I, I should have used it in the. 40 plus episodes prior to this because they all are. But uh, everything is a nightmare hashtag fodder. Hashtag blood about. and wine, hashtag nightmare fodder. Hashtag nightmare fodder. Follow if you that. hashtag it, I will personally go to your house and hug you once. You will not do that. I won't, but I will uh, thank, I will hug you with my thoughts. <laughs> That's really weird, but hey, Sorry. <laughs> so you guys don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Yeah. Let us know what you thought about our nightmare fodder. Yes. <laughs> Let- <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, do it. Do it. Also, while you're doing that, make sure to like and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Instagram? Instagram. Okay. Yes. Uh also check out our website. It is beautiful and awesome and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um thank you all so much. We yes. love you. XOXO. Blood and wine signing off. Bye. Bye.